Extra Daily Planet Extra. Welcome to episode 27 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I will be commemorating the 30th anniversary of Tim Burton's Batman, which was released on back in June of 1989, 30 years ago. I will not be alone in this episode. I will be joined later in the show by one of the hosts of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I'll let you sit on that for a few minutes and uh, think about it, but... Before I get into this week's episode, I have some feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny, and Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Extra number 26, in which I talked about Justice League versus The Fatal Five. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, I listened to this one without watching the movie because my local library hasn't yet gotten a copy of it. But when it does, I'll definitely be watching it. That does not deter me from listening to your coverage, though, because I don't mind spoilers, and you describe it well enough that I have a good sense of the story, and this one sounds like a good one. I have loved the Justice League and the Legion of Superheroes since my early days of reading comics as a boy. Teams of superheroes were all were always great fun and full of action. The only thing better than a team of superheroes was team-ups of those teams, and when the JLA and JSA would have their annual team-ups with crises on various Earths back in the days of the multiverse, before the crisis on Infinite Earth quote-unquote solved that continuity confusion quote-unquote problem once and for all. Oh, never mind. I do have to suggest a minor correction to your statement that the Legion is always set a thousand years in the future of the current continuity. That is normally the case, but in the very early days of the Legion, our 20th century, they were sometimes described as being from the 21st century rather than the 30th. But this was eventually quote-unquote corrected in retellings and reprints of those early, early stories. I know that current references to the Legion place them in the 31st century, but because of my early memories of them, I usually think of them in the 30th. Thanks for a fun listen. Live long and prosper, Dave. So, as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. And, well, I'm glad Dave uh, doesn't mind spoilers because when I talked about this episode on The Last Man of Screen Extra, I spoiled the hell out of it. I talked about every aspect of the story that there was. So, I'm interested to know, it, Dave, if you have seen it at this point. And uh, if you have, and the next time you write in, uh, let, let me know. I'm sure I will uh, hear something from Dave on uh, 
on this episode when it comes out. So if you haven't seen it yet, Dave, uh, whenever you do get a chance to uh, catch this movie, you know, drop me a quick note and let me uh, know what you uh, thought of it. I am a huge uh, fan of team-up stories as well. The uh, JLA and JSA crossovers, even though they were before my time, are still fun reads for me nowadays. And yeah, I don't necessarily agree that well, the Infinite Earths was really a confusing thing for readers. I think it was more confusing for the writers than anything else because they couldn't keep it straight. But what I love about there being a multiverse is that there all possibilities do exist out there somewhere. Like, for instance... And maybe this started before the founding of the multiverse, which was in 1961, I want to say. We recently just passed the anniversary of the uh, discovery of the DC multiverse. It's June 14th. And I think the image Dave recently shared was of June 14th, 1961. So when the comics would print, quote unquote, imaginary stories, in my head, all of those stories took place on those infinite Earths that were out there. They're not imaginary. They're not on Earth-1. And to me, I enjoy them on that basis. They're part of the DC multiverse, just not Earth-1. And I probably confused you. You see, I created that continuity confusion problem. Or I fed into it. You be the judge. And I uh, thank uh, Dave for his uh, correction. That apparently the Legion was not always uh, set a thousand years into the uh, future of current continuity. You know, it's always interesting now to go back and read something from the very early days and you can see things that hadn't quite settled yet i guess is one way of putting it i've been listening to the uh, make hours marvel podcast with uh, john m wilson and uh, michael kaiser there talking about the uh, basically all of the superhero marvel comics from the fantastic four number one until whenever they run out of steam they're still going strong now and i hope they don't run out of steam anytime soon but it's interesting seeing the older comics and see the things that were different in the early days before the characters kind of settled into the forms we know them as now it takes some time for for that to happen and it's always interesting to see some of the early contradictions to what we know because the writers are still kind of uh figuring that out at some point the an early writer put the legion in the 21st century, which when the Legion of Superheroes first appeared in 1958, the 21st century must have seemed uh, so far away. I even remember as recently as 1989 when Ghostbusters 2 uh, dropped the line about the year 2000. Back then, it just seemed so far away. It's almost hard to believe that that's now almost 20 years in the past. But yeah, the uh, 21st century uh, didn't stick as far as the Legion of Superheroes goes. And... And eventually they became uh, a thousand years uh, in the future of the current continuity. So, but, I mean, think about it. At some point, you know, God willing, uh, that superhero DC Comics is still going in uh, the 30th century, that the Legion of Superheroes will be in the 40th. Can you imagine something like that? But anyway, and uh, yes, I do agree with Dave that uh, for him, his super his Superman sweet spot, was, or his DC Comics sweet spot, it could be a Superman sweet spot too, was the uh, the Silver and Bronze Age. So yes, uh, it's understandable that for him, the Legion would always be the 30th century. But as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and uh, my guest and I are going to d- discuss Batman. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. 
and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. Hey everyone, I'm Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. You might remember us from such show as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Whatever happened to that show? Well, it went away, and now it's back. We're back? That's right. After taking a year off and having a preview episode on April 1st, all new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast will be available for download or subscription on your favorite podcatcher starting on May 30th, 2018. We have a lot to talk about right away, like the aftermath of the death of Clark Kent... The end of Season 2 of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. All of the Superman-related annuals under the Year One banner. Superman v. Aliens, dawn of a really good crossover. And so much more as we continue through the triangle-numbered books and the related books for the second half of 1995 as we gear up for that line-wide crossover, Underworld Unleashed. Starring the newly revived Lex Luthor and the Superman crossover, The Trial of Superman. And right around the corner, there's a wedding and a major change for both the costume and powers of the Man of Steel. There's a wedding? Who's getting married? Plus the side titles, miniseries, and one-shots that we've been really excited to tackle. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Covering the post-crisis on Infinite Earths era of Superman. New episodes drop on Thursdays, mostly. Unless they don't, but there's usually a very good excuse. Show notes, images from the comics covered, and back episodes can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Like I mentioned, this episode I'm going to be talking about the 1989 Batman film commemorating the movie's 30th anniversary and... I have a, a guest with me, and uh, you know him as one of the, uh, you probably know him, if not, if you don't, you should, know him as one of the hosts of uh, From Crisis to Crisis. Please welcome the first time guest on the show, Je- Jeffrey Taylor. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Well, what do you think? How many people didn't look at the uh, promo art for this episode and thought I was about to introduce Michael Bailey? Oh, well, I- I'm really sorry to disappoint. Well. But, uh, but you lucked out, you got me instead. Because uh, Michael and I do rib on each other quite a lot, almost entirely on our show, From Crisis to Crisis, which, uh, by the way, I'm just going to throw out there. You can find it at uh, 
fortressofbailytube.com. It's also on iTunes. If anybody's interested in that, it's very much a a niche show that we've been co-hosting together for (laughs) apparently 10 years. It was originally meant to be our five-year mission to go through 20 years of Superman comics, and that became a definite no-no very early on. And uh, we we have taken some breaks here and there, but uh, we get together as soon as as often as we possibly can, and uh, we're up to episode two hundred twenty eight. And what we do is we cover the all of the Superman comic books and other stuff in the same era, from nineteen eighty six to two thousand six. You guys are in about nineteen ninety five ish now, I believe, right? Yeah, we're we're at the end of 1995 right now. We just did part two of November 1995, and it's funny because we honestly thought at one point that we can cover one month per episode, and that quickly became clear that it was not going to happen that way. Well, at the beginning, you could. There were only three books. At the beginning, we could. The the current month that, that we're in the middle of covering, November 1998, we have 15 issues to cover. Oh, of, of 1995, 1995, sorry. When we get to 1998, we're going to have 25 issues to cover. That's where it's going to get even worse. Yeah, you're right at the cusp of the trial of Superman, I believe, right? We are uh, partway into the trial of Superman right now, and we've also got to stop what we're doing in the middle of that and cover bits and pieces of Underworld Unleashed. Oh, yeah. I miss and that And Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark is about to start back up, too. Right. So. Yep, so we, on a note about From Crisis to Crisis, that was probably one of the first podcasts I started listening to. Oh, awesome. So I, I had seen you post about, hey, does anybody want to come on and talk about Batman? I'm like, I want to come on and talk about Batman. I never get to talk about Batman. Right. Please bring me on. I'm happy to come on. And th- th- then I did – you said, sure. And I said, so what do I have to you know, take notes on? And you were just like, the 1989 Batman movie. I'm like, perfect. Let's just do it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm gold. Right. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I don't get to talk about uh, about Batman that much either. You know, I don't know how much you know about the the main uh, the main version of my show. It's basically Superman on the screen from the beginning until as far as I can go. Okay. Right now, uh, the next episode coming out is covering Superman three. So in about 135 episodes, Ooh. I've started with the Fleischers, and now I'm about super, up to Superman three. I'm I'm one of those people who actually likes Superman three, so there too. you are. You don't need you don't need you don't need to bring me back on for it, but I I actually like Superman three. I yeah I it's find funny, that movie it, to be very uh you know you know it, what's good is good, but the bad is also bad. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, it, it's not a great film. I'm not trying to say that, that it is, but I enjoy it. Right. And I think I watched it less than a year ago. I watch it at least once every five years. Right. I yeah like, like I said you know. Especially a lot of this stuff, especially stuff that came out in the 80s, and, and this movie today we're going to be talking about, uh, that we're going to be talking about today is, I can still put my uh, my kid eyes on on with some of these movies and, and enjoy them on that basis alone. I got to be honest with you, this one I've seen so many times, the, the, the Batman 1989 film, that it's actually difficult for me to watch it anymore. Right. Because I watched it for the first time in what may have been eight years, maybe longer, I'm not really sure, yesterday in preparation for this. And wow, it, it, it's it's not that I think that it's bad or anything like that. I've just seen it too many times. But I've probably seen Superman the movie from 1978 more times, and I'm still not sick of it. Right, yeah. There are some things that uh, 
that 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 happens too. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna jump right out there right now and and uh, go ahead and throw myself on the on the 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 pyre and say that I'm not the biggest Tim Burton fan. Neither am I. I mean, I and as far as you know, for me, movies go, I'm not necessarily fans of directors and actors, so to speak. I'm more of the person, you know. If somebody's making a Superman or a Batman movie, I'm gonna go see it regardless of who's uh, of who's directing. I'm gonna watch a trailer and say, "Oh, that movie looks interesting. I, I want to go see that." Unless it's like a Spielberg or somebody like that. Is I generally don't follow individual directors. Right. For, well, for me, if it's a, a Superman movie, I'm definitely there first day, no matter what. If it's it's a Star Wars movie. I'm there the first weekend. Right. If it's an MCU movie, I'm gonna try my best to be there. I may not catch it. I I have missed a couple, right. but a very rare couple, um, just in in the theater. But then I, I've watched them several times, you know, on digital and Blu-ray and DVD and everything like that. Right. But uh, it's uh, when it comes to Tim Burton, I I have friends who just say, you know, Tim Burton can do no wrong, and which I say. Planet of the Apes remake. <laughs> you know, he can do wrong. It can be done. Right. I still love my, my favorite Tim Burton film, hands down, is Big Fish. Yeah, I, I remember that one. That was with uh, Ewan McGregor as well, right? Um, but, right, it was with Ewan McGregor and um, it wasn't with Brian Cox. It was with uh, Albert Finney and... Danny DeVito was in that. There were some amazing performances in there, and it's just a really good quality film. It's 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 a good family film, even, but you, you can just watch it on on your own. It, whereas I I don't love Tim Burton's style most right. of the time, which is what what I my understanding, and you can correct me on this if you know better. But something that I heard years and years ago was that Warner Brothers really had their claws in this Batman film to make it the way that they wanted to make it. But Tim Burton was able to get a lot of the stuff done that he wanted to get done in the film. And it did so well, large and in part because of what he had done. And, and I understand that. Right. And he was a big part of what made this film work so well. So they just gave him carte blanche for the sequel. And that's why, as much as I, I, I want to love Batman Returns, I saw it in the theater twice, I just don't, because it's a full-on Tim Burton film. Right. It's really trying to draw on these characters that are not established and don't, don't really get established, and when they try to establish them, they, they never really get there. And so that's why I, I just don't love Batman Returns. Yeah, the, the general consensus about Batman Returns is... uh it's a Tim Burton movie with Batman in it. Yeah, he's a really he's a he's a really fun guest star in that film. Right. You know, even when he's in the title. Even when I watch this film, you know, I was watching it. You know, I'm, I'm watching it, seeing like little things. Like this Batman talked a little bit more than I remembered because he'd have a full on conversation. Yes. With with Vicky Vale, where in uh, Batman Returns he would just whisper a line or two and walk away. It seemed like he was very different in the second movie as compared to. Uh, to this movie. Well, so. it, it really depends how, how you look at it, because early on in the film, when you see Batman, he will say a line. Right. And he delivers it perfectly. Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. That sort of thing that uh, he, he does in the, the gravelly voice that Batman needs to have. The gravelly voice, which basically since Michael Keaton, every, every Batman actor has had to do. Well, that's partly because of Michael Keaton, and I, I think that uh, the one who really sold it was, uh, you know, in Batman the Animated oh, Series. Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy definitely sold that. But he also didn't sound that different as Bruce Wayne, and he didn't have to. But when it comes to actors who play Batman, we 
I'll way too often get actors who either are a good Batman and not that great of a Bruce Wayne or a really good Bruce Wayne and not that great of a Batman. Right. And I think Keaton was one of the few, even early on, who was able to bridge that gap. Um, I think, honestly, in, in live action, the, the next best, and I, I'm excluding Adam West from this entirely. Yeah, that, yeah. The next best is Affleck. Yeah, I, I would definitely, I, I think I would agree there. I, I think Affleck, you know, was able to pull off both because you had, and, and, you know, and funny, I was, I was kind of looking at Michael Keaton is, he looked like one of the actors who kind of needed the suit to do a lot of work for him because, you know, when we think of what Batman's supposed to look like, he's supposed to well, be. Oh, he was in, Mr. Bob. Right. And he's also five, five, nine. <laughs> so he's not the imposing is he? I figure. So. Yeah. Well, that's what IMDb lists his height as, but he's not the imposing figure okay. that Ben Affleck was as Batman, at least as far as his build. Goes. Right. And, and I, I, I would still argue that I don't like this story notion that in Batman vs. Superman, they were trying to make Batman as an older, more established Batman. So they went with somebody who was older, like Ben Affleck. Um, I would have preferred that they'd gone with somebody younger. But as far as this movie goes, but basically when this movie came out in the lead up to it, where was your, where was your Batman fandom at that point? Zero. Right. I was a Superman fan. I didn't watch Super Friends. I didn't know almost anything, but I was a gigantic Superman fan as a little, little kid. Um, Christopher Reed's son was on my baseball team for two years when I was, when I was seven and eight years old. And this is even before Batman came out. And I was just a gigantic Superman fan. Right. And my first understanding of anything to do with Batman was after the movie came out, my dad bought the VHS. And this is back when, okay, the, the, the way that movies worked at, at this time, you probably remember this. There may be some listeners who don't. A movie would come out in the theaters and approximately six months later, depending on how, you know, well it did, how long it ran in the, in the theaters, you would be able to get it on rental, but you couldn't buy it yet unless you wanted to spend like 120 bucks. I do remember this. And then six months after that, a year after, it was in theaters then you could buy it for something like 20 25 30 dollars depending on on what it was and so my dad actually bought it when it was 120 bucks right and that was when i watched it going to visit him for uh for a weekend and i i had no idea that bruce wayne was the um secret identity i didn't know if batman had superpowers and in that opening scene it looks like he does like he's very supernatural like just the the floating down and very, very theatrical. Tim Burton leaned heavily into the imagery. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I knew very little about Batman. I completely missed out on Batmania. I completely missed out on people talking about uh, Michael Keaton as maybe not being the best choice for Batman for one reason or another. Um, but I knew who Michael Keaton was um, from other films. I knew who Jack Nicholson was, for, again, from other films. And uh, there's at least one more that I recognized. Um, I did not know for years that Eckert was also, was also um, Porkins in Star Wars, the original. Right, yes, and uh, he was also in Superman 4 as well. That's right. One of the uh, arm salesmen. That's right, and I, I had not um, paid any attention to any of that. But I think those are the two that I that I knew, and there was at least one more. But it, it'll it'll come to me. I, I and I also have to mention that I love that I can look back now and actually interact with Michael Uslan on Facebook, right? About some of some of this stuff because I, I wasn't there for it. I was eight nine years old. I had a little bit more Batman fandom. I obviously I was always I was always a Superman kid. You know, I was watching the Reeve movies. Uh, 
practically since the cradle. And uh, te- televised in New York at the in the late eighties uh, was the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. So that that kind of stuff was always on. Batman I knew from the Super Friends. So while I could tell you who Batman was, I didn't know anything about Batman. You know, I I I'd also seen the uh, 1966 movie and maybe a smattering of episodes here and there as they kind of showed up on TV. Because if I was flicking around TV and I saw, oh, look, there's Batman, I'll sit there and watch that. But Yeah, I didn't see any of that until after the movie got big. Then they started playing all these, uh, the, the, the Adam West Batman series. So I, I, I do remember some of some of the uh, the lead-up. I, I, I do remember, because it's interesting, with, with movies that are about 30 years old, my dad is, and I saw all these movies with my dad when I was a kid, he was the age then that I am now, so I do remember him, I don't remember where he read it, maybe it was a, you saw it on TV or maybe an Entertainment Tonight kind of magazine or something like that, but I remember his re- reaction to Michael Keaton being cast, I mean, I mean it wasn't the, uh, the righteous fan rage that we get now about these things, but it was confusion, like, really, this guy? And I really didn't know much about Michael Keaton at, the, at that point. I had maybe seen Beetlejuice once, but you know, but at the, at that time, I didn't really know actors that well. And but once but once I saw this movie, all that previous Batman content didn't exist anymore. It was like this movie defined what Batman was for me. And you know, I didn't know anything about Batman. I didn't. To me, the Joker killed Bruce Wayne's parents long before I ever heard the name Joe Chill. Oh yeah, exactly. Because it was like the next experience that I had with Batman, except for maybe seeing because they really started uh, playing a whole lot of those Adam West uh, 1966 to 1968, 69 series um, right after this movie came out. But other than that, I think my next experience with Batman was that there was a comic book series. Uh, this was very early. I wasn't really collecting comics at the time, but it was um, unt- Untold Legends of of the Batman or something like that. Was it that or was that it had the, to come uh, out the greatest in... Batman stories ever told? No, no. Th- this was a three issue miniseries. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Untold on that the, the Untold uh, uh, un- the Untold. Untold right, but I got the I got the one that was the size of a small paperback novel and entirely in black and white. Right. And I got that through like a book order in school in like third or fourth grade sometime around then. So, I mean, I that I had the experience of the film, which led into me getting that. Um, you don't need to find the novel size version. I'm sure there's a, a full size and color version that you can find as well. And then after that, I would be on Comixology or the DC app. Probably, yeah. And by around the time I was 10 or 12, 10, 11, 12, I got the uh, trade paperback for A Death in the Family. With no lead up, I just read A Death in the Family, and so that was my next introduction to Batman. Right, which was especially awesome since Superman was in it. Yes, in the in the last part there. Right, and uh, well, he was in part three. Was he? He was in parts three and four, and I really uh, appreciated that because at, at the time I was not reading DC Comics. It would still be several years before I would get into DC Comics, but I'd begun collecting comics. Specifically, I was really into the Ninja, the Ninja Turtles. And so I got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures put out by Archie Comics. Okay. And then I also got into the collected editions of the, of the Mirage Comics. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think I got in around issue like 30 or thereabouts of the Mirage Comics, but Ninja Turtles Adventures, I got in on issue six. So that would have been 1990. So I was 10 years old and that was the one that featured Leatherhead. Okay. And that was my first single issue comic book that I ever bought. I still have it. Before this film, I did have 
I had three Batman comics, probably from I guess they were '87, right after the re- right after the, the post crisis reboot. Okay. It was a three pack of uh, Batman 401, like 402 and 403. So they must have been bought as a three pack. Cause I, I had a I had a Superman one as well from the same time, uh, issue four and uh, five and six, Bloodsport and the uh, Mummy Rocket Boot story. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I'm pretty sure that I had those Batman issues, but I did not get them at the time, nor did I get right. the Superman ones at the time when I was, yeah, I would I have mean, been seven well, years old at that time. I don't know where where I got them all, but I do know there were some three packs around at that time, looking back on it, so I must have just, get, my parents must have just gotten them from me in the store, and for a long time, they were, they were the only comics I had. And I think somewhere off, uh, somewhere after this movie came out, maybe, maybe, maybe I got it for the following Christmas or something. I got the, uh, that big, uh, the greatest Batman stories ever told volume. And that had, uh, a collection of stories from 3940 right up until probably somewhere in the early 80s. And that's where that's I learned awesome. all of, that's where I learned all of the, uh, the basics of Batman. You know, that's where, where I read my first Joe Chill story and, uh, the Robin Dies at Dawn story and, uh, just, uh, you know, just a, you know, for an introduction, it was just a great best of and that kind of, that's where I learned, oh, the, the movie changed a few things, but, I thought whatever was changed. Yeah, before. I didn't know that at first either. That it, it was when I read the Untold uh, Legends of the Batman that I realized that it was not Jack Napier. That Jack Napier was not a, a, a character, and that nobody knew the Joker's real name. Right. And I think that that matters. And that's actually why it bugs me just a little bit that they're that they're doing what looks like a Joker origin story for a film. Right. Because I don't want his origin. I I don't want his origin at all but then again yeah but then again the batman film we just watched sort of told his origin in a way for for at least this version but then they killed him off so it's okay right and it really i mean it was an origin in the sense that we knew who he was beforehand we knew we really didn't know anything about him right just just that he was was a gangster high level gangster with uh the eccentricity about playing cards yeah Uh, so i i didn't mind that i mean it, it it seemed like it played into the red hood in in a big way, yes, it definitely definitely played into the in, into the Red Hood idea, um, without going too far into it, right. and and you know changed who he was. But I will say that my absolute favorite Joker story that's very Joker centric was in Legends of the Dark Knight. It was uh, called Going Sane. Oh yes, yes, it was around issue late fifty, early sixty in a, in a Going Sane. Had to have come out around ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, that yeah, I believe in, yeah, that's that's the one where. The Joker was declared was declared sane, um, right? And and he was setting up a, a life yeah, well, for himself. Well, sort of. I I don't know that he was declared sane, but did, he sort of went sane because he thought that he had killed Batman. Right. So his insanity it sort of appeared to disappear, and, and he was insanely sane. Right. If that makes sense. Right. He was still insane, don't get me wrong, but you know, he he tried to have an actual life, right? I, yeah. Um, with no memory of ever having been the Joker. And then as soon as the Batman gets better, because somebody nursed him back to health, right, he got better for a while. He comes back, and as soon as he comes back, the Joker's like, "Oh, that's right, I'm the Joker." Right. Well, the, as far as uh, the Joker in this film goes, J- Jack Napier, well, Jack Napier, Jack, Jack Nicholson seemed to kind of lean into the uh, interpretation of the Joker that I enjoy the most. I mean, yes, he's he's a killer and he's going to do, do horrible things to you, but he's going to have a good time doing it. He he's there's a little bit himself. of Cesar Romero. There is. Yeah. There is. And uh, like he'll do things because he thinks they're funny. Right. And one thing that I will say is that that person's face to make him constantly look like he's smiling actually really works. Right. 
I know, I know there are a couple of people who will complain about it, like, oh man, it just looks fake. I'm like, I I think it looks really good. Right. I don't and know. And it and it it does look good, and it has a uh, it it has the creepy factor, especially when uh oh for sure probably creepier when he's in a regular when he's made up to look like he has a regular skin tone. Yeah, be, because it's um because it looks fake. Right. That then he's got this fake. like plain, completely plain skin tone. No, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I do feel as though Robin would have felt out of place in this film. Yeah, I'm glad there was no there was uh, no Robin here. I do think they should have tried for it in Returns, but uh, then again, they already were doing way too much in Returns. If they dialed back 70% of that and put some Robin in there, maybe? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's very much second-guessing. Yeah, one thing I read about this film, which I never thought of beforehand, this is the only Batman film with only one villain. And yeah. I don't miss any other villains in, in this movie. The Joker is enough of a presence throughout this film to carry the movie by himself. And obviously, Jack Nicholson is a big enough star to uh, to do that. And you can tell watching his performance right, that he uh, I, had a great time. Um, uh, of the multiple Batman films that are out, you know, if we're including Justice League and Su- Suicide Squad, then I would say there are eight out. Nine right. if you really want to include the 66 film. But I think that this is my second favorite after Batman Begins. Which had four villains, four four notable villains, even if they weren't all really showcased. Because right. you had the uh, Scarecrow, yeah, you Ghul. had Rachel Ghul, um, who was called Ra's al Ghul for Ra's some Ghul, reason, yeah. and you had yeah Ra's al Ghul, who's supposed to be called Rachel Ghul. Sorry, I'm 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 not I'm not gonna get over that. Um, Me neither. I'm 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 gonna not count Katie Holmes as a villain because she was the only down part of that entire film. Uh, other than her, the film was darn near perfect. Um, let's see. Uh, we had uh, Zaz. Yep. Zaz was in it, and uh, did, did I already say Scarecrow? Yeah, oh, there was one other. Well, Henri Ducard from Detective Six Hundred, who then turned out to be um, Rachel. Turned out to be Ross Yeah. Right. And Carmine Falcone. That's right. Yeah, you, you should definitely count Falcone, for sure. Right. So but there's at least five right there. Right. Um, and that might be the most that have ever been in a in a Batman film, but it was done the best way. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. And honestly, the one thing that one thing that lacks in this movie that I thought Begins did very well is, and all four of these movies are really, don't, don't touch this, no sign of the Jim Gordon and Batman relationship. Yes. There's zero sign of that. And in fact, the guy who plays Jim Gordon just feels kind of out of place. Um, I think he, he might like be. He's is there he in all four? Commissioner Gordon. Right. Is, like is he in all four of the films? Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle is Commissioner Gordon in all four. The only two actors to be in all four are him and Michael Goff. Him and Al Goff, right? Michael Goff. Is what I said. Michael. Al, Al Goff was one of the greatest of Smallville. Never mind. Okay. Right. Michael Goff. Um, yeah. And does nothing no he doesn't he's he's there because well we need to have commissioner gordon because he's part of the cast right and and in fact um he's got he's got some stuff to do at the end that that i want to get to when we get a little bit closer to to the end but a couple of other things i want to mention is that um i love this batmobile this is my second favorite batmobile after the animated series Mm, yeah also the the theme music again i mean it's danny elfman yeah and to me, this is this is the Batman, what the John Williams theme is to Superman for me. I completely agree with that, and and I think Danny Elfman would be happy to hear you say that, especially since he did the music for Justice League and used touches of the John Williams Superman theme and when he, used, he did and he used his, his own ver- Batman theme in that movie too. Yes, he did, 
And uh, did not use his Flash theme, though, probably because it sounds almost exactly like the Batman theme. Probably. and he probably, he's probably Because he did music for, for, the, for the 1990s Flash series, yeah. Right. One of my favorite lines from almost all of cinema is in this film. And this is something that a friend of mine used to say to people while they were tripping on LSD. He would just turn to them and say, You ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight? Ah, yes, and that, and that became... Probably the most important line in this movie. It's such a great line. It is. Just by itself. And Nicholson delivers it perfectly. You know, like it's like yes, it's something he, he says a million times. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? And Kate delivers it back to him at the end perfectly. Yeah. Excuse me. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yeah, he does. Very, uh, um, there, very nice. There is song. a moment. Yeah, there, there is a moment uh, where Alfred has just brought Vicky Vale down to the Batcave and revealed that Bruce Wayne is Batman to her, which she had already figured out. To be fair, it's a little weird that he's the one who goes ahead and does it, but I think that he figured out that she knew. So. Oh, you can you can get around that. But Bruce Wayne says something that I just don't think of as being a Bruce Wayne line. I think of this much more as a Superman line, um, maybe because, I mean, it, it did come later, but uh, she asks him why he does this. And we, we never in this film or any of these four films get into why it is that he would dress up as a bat and go around and try and save people the way that they did it specifically in Batman Begins. But what he answers to her at this point is, But I don't know what to think of all this. I really don't. Look, sometimes I don't know what to think about this. It's just something I have to do. Why? Because nobody else can. That's a Superman thing. That's not not to me a Batman thing. Because when it comes to Superman, yeah, nobody else can. So that's why he nobody can do what Superman to. can do. Right. There are other people who can do what Batman can do. Right. Now there it, is no well, this, this version of Batman. We're not looking at the at the Bat God from 2000 Justice League. No, we are not. And uh, but you're right. Uh, there is no. Uh, we're not given a re- aside from the fact that he's haunted by the de- by the murder of his parents, which we don't even see, find out about until. The beginning of the third act, because he goes goes to the alley, and then we don't come back to the hat until a lot later. Yeah, that was at about the the halfway point. So yeah, we, we found out about that right at the end of Act Two, I think, and or or the beginning of Act Three, depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. But when it when it comes down to it, um, something that I did not notice as a kid because I did not know the Batman story, but once I did know it, you can't help but notice it is that the opening of the film looks like it could be Bruce Wayne with Thomas and Martha. Um, in in that opening sequence. Oh, what with 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 the family that gets mugged. Right. Yeah, I noticed that for the first time the other night too. When 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 I actually sat and thought about it, because even the two kids are dressed similarly too. There are any drawbacks to this film? There are two really big ones that I can think of, and I I have to mention them. Even if I didn't think they were worth mentioning, I would have to mention something just so that I'm not totally giving utter praise to something like here's something that maybe could right would have been case really takes away from the film for number one is that both the Batmobile and the Batwing have lots and lots of guns and missiles and explosives. Right. And Batman kills a lot of people. He, he does. He goes out of his way to save Barry Napier from falling into the acid, but he's still okay with killing a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And he, so that well, he blows those people in, in access chemicals right up. Yeah, yes. And it, it kind of makes me think of, um, if you ever, if you ever seen the, the original, the, the first 
an evening with Kevin Smith. He he um, wrote this comic book that was a Jay and Silent Bob comic book long before uh, Planet of the Apes came out, and it had a moment in it where it ended the way that Burton's version of Planet of the Apes ended. And somebody, not Smith, somebody said, oh, you copied Kevin Smith. And Burton got all pissed off about that and right. said, anybody who knows me know I would never read a comic book, to which Kevin Smith said, well, that explains Batman. Right. You know, very, very jokingly, tongue in cheek. I don't think that he had a horse in that race. I don't think that he cared. Right. I mean, it was being taken from him. But it, it's, it's clear that he did not. That may have been where Warner Brothers had a hand in things, but they didn't pay that close attention. Right. So it's really hard to say. The only other thing that really, for me, takes away from everything is – after the ending, which, you know, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen it, you, you should have seen it if you're going to listen to us. Yeah, if you listen to this, um, it's, we're assuming you've seen the movie. Right, exactly. Joker falls to his death from the uh, the belfry of the church. Right. And, um, and, and the laugh box goes off and Gordon finds the laugh box. And then you cut to the denouement. And everything after that moment is horrible. Everything. Well, yeah, that, the letter from Batman. We've received a letter from Batman this morning. Please inform the citizens of Gotham that Gotham City has earned the rest from crime. But if the forces of evil should rise again to cast a shadow on the heart of the city, call me. Question. How do we call? He gave us a signal. It's the most ridiculous. You get this ridiculous dialogue with Vicky Vale and Alfred that it makes sense, but is still stupid. I thought champagne would be in order, man. Hi, Alfred. Mr. Wayne told me to tell you that he might be a little late. I'm not a bit surprised. Yeah. Following up with, you know, then finally you, you do get the, the fanfare music leading up to Batman on, on top of the, you know, standing on a gargoyle with the bat signal in the background. And, and that's all fine. But yeah, other nice than image. that, it's just bad. Oh, re- yeah. It's like, really? He just wheeled you a searchlight with a bat symbol on it? <laughs> yep. Again, it, it feels like box checking. That's right? exactly yeah. what, what it is. And the idea of him having this letter that's so like, I'm this giant hero and it should evil ever come back to the city. I will be here. Right. No. Because, because the Joker falling off the building eradicated all crime in the city. Right. Well, they rounded up all the Joker's men. Well, yeah. Is what Gordon said. So, yeah. but anyway. But yes, yeah, something about should evil ever come back to the city. I will be here. And, you know, that's all fine and good, but it sounds stupid. It does. That's the Adam West Batman who might say might send a letter like that, but that's it. Well, the Adam West Batman would have had a press and conference. And I guess you would have given him a bat phone. Red bat phone. But yeah, and, and there are, yeah, there are things like that that take away. You know, Batman using guns. Cause, cause I, I was watching, you know, I was paying close attention to that. In the Axis chemical scene, he kills at least five people deliberately. He shoots, he shoots up the parade. Who knows how many people got, got, got killed there. And yeah, he tried to shoot down the Joker with, with the, with the Batwing. Yep. Failed miserably, but must have been a really bad shot. But, but yeah, there, there is some basic, uh, well, well I, I mean, he, he typically kill him. And, you know, if you're going with that version of Batman, that's fine. Just understand this. 
that's not man. No. And what I what I don't understand is that, and I don't know if I'm opening a can of worms worms with this here or not. I probably am, but who cares? Why are we okay with? Why are people okay with it in this movie? And then complaining about what happens in things like Batman v Superman. Is it acceptable here because people like this movie bit better than that one? And we're just looking for things to complain about? It's hard to say because I, I think in Batman vs. Superman, first off, it was not um, – it's not as good of a film. I will throw that out there. No, um, I agree. I, I went to I, – I saw that film early before it came out and I interviewed half the cast. Right. And so I, I really wanted to enjoy it. And I, the, the way that I enjoyed Men of Steel, because I, I know that Men of Steel, a lot of people, you know, have different feelings about that. I think that movie is darn near perfect. Yeah, and I'm going to say that now as well. I'll say it again. Yeah. Um, we don't need to get into that because we're talking about Batman now, but Batman versus Superman was not that. And I, didn't realize how much I disliked it until later on I watched it with my wife, who said, was that even an entire movie? Because it felt like it was just setting up for the next movie. Yeah. Like, that's all that it was. And that's true. That's all that it was. It wasn't – it was not a complete movie. No, I, I, def- I definitely – Shoehorning yeah. in the death of Superman in that was, was, was not okay. And uh, the But the idea of Batman with guns in the – I don't know. I, I I think I wanted to think of it differently. Um, I haven't really thought about it in a while. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, right. You could argue maybe he used rubber bullets to just knock people over. I, I don't know. Right. You can yeah. still kill a person. So still I mean, it, there, there are different ways that you can take a look at that and take it. Um, and I honestly don't have a solid answer for you. No, and it's probably just something to throw out there, something, something to uh, to think about, I guess. So. We haven't talked about this yet. Uh, what do you think about the uh, design of Gotham City in this, especially in this film? Fantastic. Although it has a lot of vents, right? A lot it of does. steam vents. There are Gotham steam vents in any other city in the world, and their museum has a lot of vents, a lot yes. more vents than a museum actually needs. Some of them giant and able to, you know, pump Smilex gas. Yeah, very convenient. Uh, um, that you're I, pumping I, gas in. Vents are, vents are a huge part of not only the, the design and function of Gotham City, but also its aesthetic. Right. One, one right. thing that, that Burton did really well, I think, with this film was to not have stars in the sky because it was always cloudy. You never saw stars in the sky. There was one moment in the entire film where you see stars in the sky, and that's when the Batwing is covering the moon. Right, and you're above the clouds at that point. The one right. thing I think they did very well and succeeded at is they made Gotham look very claustrophobic. Totally. You know, even the even the opening scene on the roof. It took me forever to realize that was actually supposed to, supposed to be outside. Right. But it seemed like it was in a warehouse or something. Exactly. Until he until he hangs the guy off the off the side of the ledge and jumps down later. But the uh, the famous I'm Batman line was not in the script. Really? It was supposed. No, it's not. He, and uh, I don't know if you if you've seen this. Uh, have you ever seen the uh, DC Comics adaptation, the one drawn yeah. by Jerry Ordway? Yeah, I have it. Okay, if you look at that scene, he says, I am the knight. I am the knight. Okay. I'm Batman was apparently improvised by Keaton right on set. It's way more fitting than I am the knight. As, it is. At, at, as an opening. It is. And at the same time, I've even got a meme. I've got it right here on my phone, actually, where Stephen Colbert recently was interviewing Michael Keaton. And he said, oh, yeah, and you used to be Batman. And he says, I am Batman. Right. And I believe I think it was a year ago, Keaton uh, spoke at a college graduation and he, he left them with two words. And I'm sure everybody was waiting for words of wisdom and it's to I'm, take in life. His last two words were, I'm Batman. Well, he is. So I'm, yeah, I'm is. willing to let him have that. Oh, absolutely. But he was the first one to do that. 
Yeah. And now every every Batman since has to do it. I don't think that uh, Val Kilmer... Val Kilmer didn't do it. I'm, I'm saying that I don't think he could get away with trying to say that now. I don't think George Clooney could do that now. No, I'm, the, Christian I'm Bale in the might movies. be able to, and I think Affleck, since he kind of bailed early, he uh, yeah, he can't do but that. But no, he, I, I think Keaton is uh, Batman for life. You know, every, almost every Batman actor has said it at least yeah. once in a movie. I I think that everybody who grew up around the era that we grew up, who's familiar with Batman Beyond, wants Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne, and a Batman Beyond live action. Yeah, and I think that we're the only people who really and want to see that. I'm I'm totally down with that. Yeah, if if they can pull that off and and do it do a good film, I'm totally down with that. Oh, I am too. But the, the only thing is, I think uh, the only a very small sliver of the viewing audience that wants to see that. That may be the case, but it could turn into one of those things. Like I've right now on the internet, for some reason, everybody's sort of coming to this agreement that Keanu Reeves is amazing, and I've thought this since I was seven years old. Right. So, um, and I I would argue that with people constantly because i've been a huge keanu reeves fan for so much of my life right. and now suddenly everybody's agreeing with it so yeah, if we all can of a sudden everybody loves keanu reeves everybody to agree that michael keaton is batman and that he should be bruce wayne and we can tell people who terry mcginnis is if they could do a really good film and do it with him i think that would be great that would be but enough, only yeah. if it's only if it's going to be a really really good film right and uh, you know but I, as it is right now we're Robin Robert Pattinson as Batman, and I'm I'm dead honest. I'm I'm excited about it. Right. Yeah. Everyone, there are looks, a lot of everyone looks at it. Oh no, the sparkly guy from Twilight. And he can't. Yeah. I haven't seen anything else he's done, but you know, I've seen a bunch of stuff that he's done. He's amazing. He's awesome. And you know what? I've I've learned from Michael Keaton being cast. I've learned from the casting of Christian of not Christian of Heath Ledger as the Joker, from Ben Affleck as Batman. I'm done getting hey. bent out of shape over actor choices because you know because you can fault right you know, just zach snyder and batman v superman for a lot of things the one thing i'm not faulting him on is casting yeah no, no i think affleck it's, it's one of those things that people are welcome to, to disagree but for the most part people do agree that he was a very good batman and equally importantly he was a really good bruce wayne and like i said keaton was one of the few actors who got that um affleck got that i'm sorry christian bale was not a good batman he was a really good bruce wayne don't get me wrong but swear to me <laughs> he was batman in a really good film yes but so he, I, I i have high hopes for robert pattinson and at the same time i'm i'm just thinking outside the box and i posted on facebook the other day and i'm surprised how many people are agreeing with me that you know hey maybe let's give it a shot if they think it'll work for the story that they're doing what if macaulay culkin was the joker and that's not even a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's been training for this his whole life. So maybe what if he's really good at it? You know, you, you, you don't know. He's actually a really good actor. Right, yeah. But like any, like anybody else, he gets pigeonholed because of something he did when he was eight. Yep. Right, exactly. So, I mean, we're, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. This film probably won't even have the Joker. Um, no. We'll have to wait and see. We'll, it looks we'll, like we'll, Matt Reeves is doing trilogy. And I, I trust Matt Reeves for doing what it is that he's going to do right. because, in my opinion, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is one of the greatest films ever made. Right. I still haven't, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> It's on my list. You, you're gonna have to watch all three at this point. You gotta watch Rise and then Dawn and then War. Oh, I'm I'm, pl I'm planning. I'm planning to. 
he did Dawn and War. But if you just watch Dawn by itself, you have to watch Rise first. But when, when you watch Dawn, don't watch it immediately after Rise. Give yourself a little bit of a break and just take in the film as it is. Don't stop it in the middle. Just take it in as it is because it is incredible. Right. And that's what Matt Reeves is going to be working on for what I think is a Batman trilogy. And what I'm hoping for for this trilogy, I want a solid detective story. Yeah. And that's Even what if they're it's saying not they're going to like give us. Oh, okay, good. I've not paid that close attention except that Matt Reeves is directing and Robert Pattinson is, yeah, is going to be said Batman. that he wants to do kind of a detective type story and, uh, and bringing it, and bringing it back to, to this movie. They kind of they try to show Batman doing some detective work. Yeah, they, they yeah, and they, they, they tried to give some detective work in Batman Begins like he was using um, devices and then he like, you know, threw a device to Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Right. Who, who was in that um, for anybody who, who knows who I'm talking about. So they try to give him some kind of detective work, but then it's constantly like, where are they? Yeah. Then, then it's where are the bombs? I mean, we don't yeah. we don't see it really see the process in this movie, but we see him figuring out that the Joker is a chemist after seeing uh, the commercials, the uh, the brand X interruption. Right. And uh, you see the, the end result. He it's Batman who cracks the code. Who, fi- who figures right. it out. So. so at least we get some of that there. They tried to play with that a little bit in Batman uh, Forever using the Riddler. Right. For, for um you know, the, he gave like three or four different clues and the clues added up to a number that became something that, right. you know, Bruce Wayne, Batman, Val Kilmer was able to figure out. But it wasn't really that, like a mystery kind of thing. Right. That's not really detective. I'm just being good at riddles. Yeah. It, it's, you know. it, the, the answer turned out to be Enigma. Right. Mr. So, e, Mr. E, Mr. Yeah. E, Enigma. You know, that's, that's what it was. So. Yeah, they, they tried, but, you know, the, it, it never really, it never really get, gets its due. So, a couple I, other things I, I, I think, want to talk about. I think it would be fun to, to do like a full on, you know, Murder She Wrote or Agatha Christie kind of detective story, but involving some level of superheroics because this Batman that we're talking about in the 1989 Tim Burton film is very much a superhero. Oh, yes. And in the Matt Reeves movie, you have to have some semblance of his, uh, of his villains too. Right. And we'll see what it is that they decide to do with that. I would love to see a live action Maxi Zeus. I just settle for the penguin being done properly. I thought it was done properly in Gotham. Be dead honest. I have to get back with Gotham. At some point I just kinda of fell off the Gotham train. I did too, but I watched I watched the first three seasons or so. My favorite character on that show was the penguin. I thought he was incredible. That actor was incredible. Now I'm just waiting for for the rest of it to be all all be on Netflix and then go through it once it's all there. Yeah, I should probably do that too. I know that um I, I was told that if I watched the last like five episodes which were on Hulu at one point, they might still be. I don't know that uh, that, that I might enjoy that, but I'll, I'll probably wait and just watch through all of them because it's hard for me to keep up with all of these you know 22 episodes a season. Oh, yeah, and part of my issue with the Netflix model is it's very overwhelming to get 13 episodes at once sometimes. Yeah, and with a lot of these, like like Gotham and and Supergirl and The Flash, you get 22 or more at a time. However, uh, a few months ago, I did, over the course of uh, just under a month, watched all 10 seasons of Smallville, which I've seen them all before, but I've never done it all in that kind of a binge. No, that's an impressive binge. I've not watched them since um, the finale came out. I tried to watch the first few episodes a couple of years later and was like, no, I, I just can't do this. It's too, it's too, too soon. <laughs> it, was, it was just too soon. Yeah. 
I've rewatched some of it since then. I, I think I've, I enjoy it more in the second time just because I know where it's going. Right. A lot of when Smallville was on, it was the impatience of getting to the point, getting to the end game. Oh, yeah. There, there's definitely a lot of that because it can really take its time to do that. Right. But at the same time, it had been so long since I've seen some, some of it that by the time I got to season five and six, I forgot where some of it was going. Right. Because I hadn't watched those a million times. Right. Because yeah, some of those, I, I, I would watch when it was on. Then I would rewatch it before the next episode came on. And then when they got to a hiatus, I would rewatch it. However, like eight or 10 episodes, um, to lead up to the next one coming on. And so I've watched some of them just too many times. Right, so and I stopped doing that back to this movie. Uh, sorry. I yeah. It's, it's all right. But part of the fun of podcasts with, with other people is just the conversation just goes where it goes. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, we haven't talked about, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Michael Goff as Alfred? Oh, I think he's perfect. Um, I, I, he's the one that I think of as Alfred for the most part. It, it was, uh, I, I was happy to see someone like Michael Caine playing Alfred in, uh, you know, the, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, but, uh, and, and even Jeremy Irons in, um, Batman vs. Superman and Justice League. But really, when I think of Alfred in live action, um, he, Goff is the one that I think of. Right. Yeah, same here. And he's really what I think of when I think of Alfred. Right. And he's, in that com- and he's in that Pepsi commercial, too. Oh, yeah. No, it was Diet Coke, I believe. Was it Diet Coke? Of, okay. I, I believe on the, on the beginning of the VHS. I'm sure it was something that tastes horrible. Hello. Gotham Corner Store? Yes. We seem to be down to our last Diet Coke. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. Okay, here, yeah, that 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 um that VHS that my dad got had that commercial. It also had the um call this one eight hundred number for Batman merch that right, was hosted uh, by Bugs. Right, you couldn't watch Daffy the movie Duck. without your Warner Brothers ball cap. Right. Hold it! Hold it right there! Let's see if you're really ready to watch this movie. Okay, popcorn? Check. Soft drink? Check. Warner Brothers ball cap? Aha! You can't watch a Warner Brothers movie without a Warner Brothers ball cap. Listen, Doc, what if they ordered a Warner Brothers ball cap so they had it next time? Well, uh, here's all you have to do, folks. Just send for this. Uh-oh. A new Warner Brothers catalog. Use it to order your Warner Brothers ball cap. And while you're at it, you can order stuff like T-shirts, posters, movie books, ties. That's neckties. It's all in the catalog, which you can get now by dialing this 900 number. So when you get a chance, call... No, no, they have to call now. They can't watch the movie until they order their new catalog. You're despicable. Don't forget to call, folks. And I got the Batman... I did get the Batman cereal, and I got um, enough box tops to get the the T-shirt with the reflective bat symbol on it. Right. It was just a black shirt with like this piece of plastic on it that if you put it in the dryer would destroy it. Right. Oh yeah. 
I didn't know the kind of material you're talking about. I probably had a couple of shirts like that back in back in those days. But yeah, I'm with you. Michael Goff is what I think of when I think of Alfred. Because I don't need you know Alfred to be you know an ex Secret Service uh, or Queen's whatever Her Majesty's Secret Service is called. Yeah, I, I don't need any of that. You know, I mean, in this movie, he kind of strikes me as the. Uh, Almost like the disapproving grandparent. He doesn't. He doesn't seem like he approves of Bruce being Batman. Just judging by the line of. What's on your mind, Alfred? I have no wish to fill my few remaining years grieving for the loss of old friends or their sons. That and he also wants him to uh, get together with Vicky Vale because that that that's a chance for him to get away from what it is that he's doing. Right. You know, you see that he doesn't approve of Batman, but he is not going to even though Bruce is still going to be Batman, he's going to do whatever he can to support that, even though he doesn't approve of it. And I I just love the, uh, you know, and and Vicky even mentions it, that he reminds her of her grandfather. And he's very in all four movies, he's very uh grandfatherly yeah i i would definitely agree with that um i i think that he plays a smaller role in all of the films like he's not really even that essential alfred is very intrinsic to batman and his existence and everything like that but he's not that essential in this film or the next one he might be maybe a little bit more when they try to shoehorn in the batgirl story in batman and robin but let's not talk about that because he's dying at that the, the Alfred stuff was the only thing I liked in that movie. Yeah, but he's dying at that point is the idea. Right. And I, I think he did die soon after because that came out in, what, 98? 97, I, I believe. 97, yeah, that sounds about right. Freeze will. So, yeah, I think the, you know, the only value of that film is, is, is to watch it stoned and drunk with friends <laughs> who are going to talk over it like Rocky Horror Picture Show style. That's that's the value of that film, I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah, well, when he when my, when my former stepson was was li- living with me and he was very and he was very young, uh, that was the mo- one movie that he would watch, Batman and Robin. But he was like six, so I'll let him I'll let him have it. <laughs> yeah, you like what are you gonna do? You like- I enjoyed Superman four when I was seven. Yeah, exactly. I I, I did too. So uh, and, and I really don't have anything uh, of note to really think about as far as Vicky Vale goes. I mean, she's kind of this was my first exposure to Vicky Vale. She's she doesn't really play a vital role uh, aside from uh. Get led into the Batcave. Yeah, I mean, not to use a, an entirely tired joke, but I'm not sure exactly how to say this. Passenger, Basinger. I think, ba- I think it's Basinger. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> all right. And it seemed. And did you have the same take on uh, Robert Wool's character, Knox? It seemed like by most people he was uh, considered a joke. Uh, I, I don't know that I consider him a joke. I think he was. No, that, that pe- people in the film did. Okay. Um. I think that he was perfectly cast. Oh, I, I do too. Um, I cannot think of anything else I've seen that actor in. I'm sure that I could if I if I looked him up and be like, oh yeah, he's done this and this. But he was perfectly cast in that role and did exactly what needed to be done for it. I think he did an episode of Superboy. That sounds likely. I think he, the the Golem episode, I believe it was. I've only watched them once. I've watched yeah. every Superboy episode one once. time. But yeah, I've seen him and he was. I think so I'm in that, and he had an HBO show, Arliss, that I saw maybe an episode or two here. Uh, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. Okay, so I've seen him in that, too. Where okay. he played a sport, a sport agent. Yes. Let's see, who else do we have? We had we had Porkins playing uh, Eckhart, who 
I like to call in my head Harvey Bullock. <laughs> yeah, and it would have been interesting if they had used the, the name Harvey Bullock, but then they couldn't have made him a bad guy, as Eckhart was. He was he was dirty. Well, as, and from what I know, cut. I have a huge blind spot with uh, Bronze Age Batman, but I believe Bullock was a corrupt cop initially. Yes, but he didn't get killed over it. No. And he and he made his recompense. From from my understanding, I I don't really know Bronze Age Batman very well either, but uh, that does sound likely. But it does strike me that they couldn't use him like that because not only is he going to be dirty, he's also going to be killed. Right. But he definitely gave off the image, the overweight, uh, poorly put together cop, which is what we're used to seeing as Bullock. Right. Same thing with Flash, really, when when you get to uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, because which was a last was a massive character in year one, right? Who was then know. put into Batman. Games. Yeah, although he was very different. He was very different in year one. Green Beret. He was big and buff, and yeah, that's different. But he was still corrupt. So they could have used Flass and then killed him off if they wanted to. Right, they could have, but so they just made up another character, and that's fine too. S- same thing when, when by the time you get to Returns and you've got Christopher Walken's character, that's that's the original character. Right, and. It, you know, and they kind of use uh, Eckhart as kind of the poster boy of uh, police corruption, but we really don't get a sense of how corrupt the police department is. Yeah. Get, I mean, they, they they keep saying it, and and Gordon knows it, and Gordon and Gordon knows it, but you know, when when he goes into Axis Chemicals, it's unclear if the cops with him are corrupt or if they're just quote unquote following orders. Not that I know of any cops that go into a place shoot to kill, but, but pretty much it seemed like uh, once. Gordon showed up, the uh, the program changed. And obviously that was all set up to kill Eckhart anyway. Yeah, pretty much. No, it was set up to kill, it was set up to kill Jack. And right, Eckhart right. Getting killed it, was an added bonus. It, Think about it, the future. Because, uh, because it take the fall. Right. You are my number one guy. You know, when Jack Palance does that, it was, you could tell it was condescending. When yeah. Joker does it, it's just creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my... My one complaint about this movie is that, as much as I enjoy it, it seems like after Axis, maybe even after the Joker kills Grissom, the movie just kind of slows slows into a lull as it sets up everything else. I think that's just the way that you know Act Two kind of works. Is that that that's right. where you gotta be building on what you set up in Act One so that you can move forward through the rest of Act Two. Um, but that's that's also kind of Tim Burton's style to begin with. Right. Because I remember a lot of times when I would uh, watch this movie, I would, as a kid, I would stop and take a break at some, at some point in the middle because I would just get bored with the dating Vicky Vale and, and then come back and just, just come back to it later. Maybe I was just playing t- attention span as a kid. Yeah, one of the complaints and I'm about, flying. Right, exactly. Because one of the complaints about this movie was the lack of Batman screen time, which... Oh, I disagree with that. I, I do, too. Because, especially in these days, you, you look at the amount of screen time... I mean, the amount of screen time Batman had in this movie was probably comparable to what Superman had in the first Donner film. Yeah, because um, the the first Superman movie was basically you you had Krypton, and then once he arrived on Earth, then you began Act One, and so it's like fifty minutes in, maybe even a touch more, when you finally see Superman for the first time, and even then it's brief until you see him go and save Lois in the helicopter scene, and uh, even. Batman begins probably not until four or five minutes in when he goes to uh, talk to Katie Holm that you actually see Batman. Right. You see him for the first time right before that. Well, kind of, kind of you only see a glimpse of him as he's fighting. But then, no, yeah, I think you see way had, more in this sense. Yeah, cause I, I think maybe some of that comes from the fact that 
obviously you, you, he's fighting a character like the Joker who is so over the top that Batman functions as a counterpoint because here's Batman who stays, you know, who stays in the shadows and, uh, yeah, as it's meant Joker, to be. Right. And the Joker is, you know, white and green and, uh, and way, way over the top having a, all secondary know, colors. Right. Having a, having a good time. So this movie did introduce black suited Batman to the masses. Yes, it did. That's right. I did not think of that because, and, uh, before this, even in the comics, he would wear, sometimes he would appear to be blue. Sometimes he w- he would be black. Uh, uh, there would be like a black cowl with gray, depending on the shading more than anything. But usually it was like gray with a blue cowl. Right. And and I don't know if I'm right. My theory on that, how it became blue, was always at least this is what I, what I think. I could be completely wrong. I think it's just but, so you can see him. Right. They couldn't in the comics back in the in the 30s and probably right up through the 80s. They couldn't do black. They didn't have a grace scale they they, right. they could do black but it would be just black black right it would be a smudge you wouldn't be able to see fingers and stuff so it would probably be the same reason why superman would have blue in his yeah i have a dog who i i got as a six-week-old puppy she's part black lab but she's completely black i went to take the first few photos and try to post them on facebook and i had to say along with it this dog has not been unlocked yet because <laughs> you couldn't see you could see that there was something there you could see the outline but it was just a black smudge Right. And that's what he would look like in the comics, yeah. Right. So you couldn't do that, but I like Black Suit of Batman. Yeah, they, they didn't go with the full-on Black Suit until after uh, Nightfall, Night Quest, and Night's End. And then uh, for a little while, Dick, Dick Grayson was Batman. And then when he came back, they had those four issues um, where uh, yeah, Nor- Norm Brayfogle did the first one, I think. Right, that, when he came back. Where, where he was in all black, black yeah. And that was the first time in the comics. And that had to have been around like 94, maybe even 95. As I recall, it didn't really stay black for very long. It was more of a, no, it's a kind of a of a black and a, like a midnight blue type of thing. It always came down to the artist after that, right? Yeah, but I think you know the darker suit works better because if he's supposed to be coming out of the shadows, you don't want to have a blue cowl and a big gray uh, suit, right? So for what Batman is, I I think that works. And yeah, I agree. And the suit is just as much of a character as uh, the guy in it. Yeah. Although and obviously this suit, and it didn't need nipples. Look at that. It it did not need nipples, but uh. Poor Michael Keaton needed to be able to turn his head. <laughs> I was I I always think that, especially at that moment where he's with Vicky Vale right after escaping from the museum, and he's right. gonna look up, but he has to arch his entire back back to look up, and I'm like, oh yeah. man, I, I totally understand that. So when by the time you get from Batman Begins to Dark Knight, and it's like, oh, you want to turn your head? Yeah, like yeah, I get the, it. <laughs> yeah, going up, going up those stairs, he'd look up, and his whole back has to move. Yeah. Which, I mean, which has to be you, horrible. You've just come out of a plane crash. It's from martial arts. Yeah. If you can't move your head to like see, you got to move your entire body to see. Right. And you could tell that's how only heavy. Put, yeah. How heavy the suit was, especially the cowl with that big thing hanging on his shoulders. Yep. So they definitely refined the suit better in future films. Yeah. By the time they got to Dark Knight and they had the head that can move, which is funny because I actually have a Batman Begins action figure and a Dark right. Knight action figure. Um, because the Batman Begins one fits inside my Tumblr Batmobile, right. and the Dark Knight one does not. But I, I can tell by looking at the, the the way the heads. Well, for one thing, the Dark Knight one, the head can move. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I I don't know how Michael Keaton moved in this thing at all. Not easily. No. And from what I read, because I was going through some of the IMDb trivia, he couldn't hear in the suit either. Yeah, I can see that, or or you know, figure that out. It, it, 
At least in Batman Begins, they tried to like put a transmitter in the ear. But I guess it's the one commonality, common ground between all the Batman actors: the suit makes them miserable. <laughs> I'm not. Su- it, yeah, not because it's so heavy. I, and- I, I I would have to imagine that the only one who who enjoyed the suit in any way whatsoever would have been Adam West. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about this suit is this is probably the and really all f- all four films in this uh in this particular franchise is this is the one that I feel like the ears are the right length. Okay. Like, just now, and this is just personal preference. To me, uh, like what we see now yeah, is too short. So, like what Affleck and Bale had seemed to be too short. I think I remember Clooney's being too long. Yeah, Clooney's might have been too long. Yeah, I mean, I don't need, I don't need to see these, uh, the, these long uh, Kelly Jones ears that can get AM radio. But uh, fair enough. But you know, a few inches at least. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I really liked everything about uh, about Black Suited Batman. Is I mean, it had a couple of good action sequences. The the, ax, the Axis Chemicals. Uh, Where does he get those wonderful toys? Yeah, yeah, and the museum sequence. Those, those two action sequences for me it, it still hold up. Oh, uh, the, the the one thing that that I will say is that um, I love Danny Elfman's score. Prince always felt a little bit out of place to me. Yeah, you know, because there, there are two of... soundtracks to the film. There's a Prince soundtrack and the Elfman and the score. score. I don't know. Just for me, the uh, pop music in the uh, in superhero movies just doesn't seem like a good fit. Yeah, the, the, there's only uh, two places where it really kind of worked, and that was in the museum sequence, I guess, if you really want it to work there, and in the in the parade briefly. Yeah, you see, I think why why it worked, I think it, it works better in the museum sequences because it's not technically. I mean, it is, but they turn. It, they turned it on. They, it into the, like the a Joker's music men beat. are playing that song, right? As they uh, as they get you know do For their museum box. hijinks. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I read, which I thought was interesting, is the museum sequence was the only scene that made uh, Jack Nicholson uncomfortable. Oh, because apparently he's an art lover. He wasn't apparently wasn't big on defacing the art. I might have a similar problem when it came down to it with that as well. So there right. we are. Oh, okay, and and that's fine. I think we've uh, we've covered just about just, just about everything. Cool. I mean, cool. I was. You got anything to uh, add? No, I, I think I've covered everything that I have my uh, my notes about and everything that I really want to say about it. I I still love the film. Yeah, it's, I do too. It's for sure my favorite of the four, but I think that most people would would agree with that. Some people, I, I do know some people who prefer Returns over it, right. and and that's fine. They tend to be Burton fans. So I understand that that's much more of a Burton film than than this one is, and that this one's still very much a Burton film. But I'm I'm really glad that I got a chance to uh, come on and talk with you about it. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm. I was, I was glad to have you on. And yeah, I agree. This this is a beloved Batman film for a big part of my childhood. And uh, yeah, it's here. not my it's it's not my favorite. The uh, my favorite is probably Begins. That's probably the Batman Begins. Probably the begins closest thing we favorite. got to a to a comic book to a comic book. Uh, well, I, Batman, I felt like Batman Begins w- was aiming for a, a level of realism that none of the others had up to that point and probably weren't going to after that. Because by the time we get to Batman versus Superman, you, you need a Batman that can go up against Superman. And right. the Batman Begins version of Batman, the, the, the Dark Knight trilogy Batman, would never stand a chance against Superman. And they were trying to set up a version that would have that. So I, I felt like, like Begins in the Dark Knight trilogy was really aiming for you know some certain kind of level of realism. Batman Begins really felt like 90s detective comics. Okay, yeah. Which or maybe is, even which, certain certain kinds of Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah. That that's what what Begins felt like to me and that's and that's why I uh, glommed onto it. that and it had the relationship with uh with Jim Gordon. So, but the this yeah, movie ranks I, very I, high on the list. I don't too. I think I need another Justice League movie. I'm happy to just have solo Batman movies and solo Superman movies at this point. Um, I'm at this point, I, you know what? Make good make good movies. And the 
the rest take, takes care of itself. They did well with Man of Steel. They did well with Wonder Woman. They did well with Shazam. Um, which I happen to see as a double feature along with Captain Marvel, which was a, a brilliant way to go and see those, even though they're not technically related besides yeah, no, the that name. Is. Uh, but the, it, it's amazing they were both out at the same time for me to go and do that. But right. uh, other than other than those three, yeah, they, they haven't really hit the mark yet. Whereas the MCU, I like things about every one of those movies where I can just watch them over. Over and over again, and I and I'm more of a DC than a Marvel, but uh, Marvel's hitting but it they, on on the movies, and DC's yeah, they, missing they crack, the mark. They cracked the code. Yep. Then nobody else. Is. But well, that being said, you know, yo, thank you, uh, thank you, Jeff, for coming on. I I, pre- I appreciate you joining me on this episode. And uh, like, like Jeff mentioned before, if you want to find me, um, it's from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I co-host with uh, my partner Michael Bailey. And it's available at FortressOfBaileyCube.com and iTunes. And again, we cover pretty much everything Superman from 1986 to 2006 and we're at the end of 1995 right now. Anything that you can think of, any stories you can think of um, in the late 80s to early 90s, just crisis, we have covered it. And does, and a lot of people really seem to appreciate us. So go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. All right. And uh, if you want to send feedback to the show, it's always welcome. Man of Screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the uh, Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So until next time, folks, shine the bat signal. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sounds of views on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.